tonight in continuing with the knowledge. The first portion, it's just going to be practical. You know, we'll just talk about some practical things. And whereas last week we were more flipping through the pages of the Bible, and we will get to that tonight too, but we're just going to start off from a practical level of knowledge. So God has complete knowledge of all things at all times, and there has never been a time when God has not known all things. He has never been surprised by things that are breaking news to us. God has perfect knowledge, whereas we as his creatures must learn things through observation. And everything that we learn still does not equate to the perfect knowledge of God. You can take the knowledge of each person in this room, combine us together, multiply it by a million, and we're still not close to the knowledge that God has. And even with that high level of knowledge on our end, it would pale in comparison to God. And there would still be things that we did not know. See, those who are considered experts in certain areas are still limited in their knowledge. We look at people in certain fields of study or in an occupation, and we may say that that person is an expert, but they are still limited in their knowledge because they are fallible creatures. And though they are experts in one area through their study, through training, etc., there are still other areas where they have zero knowledge or expertise. So that shows their limitation in knowledge. Oftentimes, a person is viewed as having knowledge in all things because they have such great knowledge in one area. They may be looked at as a genius in a certain area. And because people revere them so much in that uh, knowledge that they have of that one specialty, they go to that person. You know, they look to that person, they revere that person and may view them as a person who has knowledge in all things, but they are limited even there. There is only one who knows all things, and we've talked about that. That is God Almighty. He is the only one who knows all things. He knows all things perfectly again at all times, never learning anything, never forgetting anything. The best of us as human beings are going to have things that we know and forget, that we need to be reminded of, that we need to be taught, things that need to be reinforced because we don't have perfect knowledge. We are fallible. And even things that we need to be corrected on, you know, uh, because sometimes we don't know what we think we know. Even in all sincerity, we're so sure about things. And then someone comes along and nudges us and says, no, that's not that's not right. You know, and so we have to learn all over again what the truth is in that area. Do you 
ever recall a feeling when something like that has happened. You were just so sure of something and someone came along and told you, like, hey, you know, this 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 isn't right. And they gave you the evidence for that, you know, and, you know, you realize at that point that you've been wrong all along. Do you remember that feeling that you got whenever that has happened or maybe you had to be the bearer of bad news to someone else to let them know that, hey, what you think, you know, you don't, you know, and this is in all sincerity, not even talking about someone who's arrogant as a know-it-all. You just think that you know something and then it turns out not to be true. And that feeling that you get, we all get it of embarrassment or whatever it is. But see, nothing like that has ever happened with God because he knows all things. And then you have what's known as wasted knowledge. Have you ever known anyone to use an expression or maybe you've used the expression yourself? You say either look at him or look at her. All of that knowledge that they have going to waste. You know, and this is uh, sometimes the type of terminology that is used or the expression that is used when a particular person does not meet the expectation according to uh, their perceived potential, then they're sometimes looked at as having a wasted knowledge. On the flip side of that, you have people who know things that you would not expect for them to know. And you might ask them, why do you know that? Or how do you know that? So there is an unexpected knowledge on the part of that person. And some people that you know may be filled with a wealth of knowledge. This is the person that as soon as you start that conversation with them, they're just hitting you with all kinds of knowledge bombs and all of these things that you didn't know that you didn't ask for may not even care to know, but they're just hitting you with all of that information. And they often start off saying, my, did you know, you know, and you know, from that point, you're locked in. You can't get away. You're going to know what they know. And, you know, not that this person, again, is trying to be a person who is arrogant or anything like that, that they just know a lot. And whether you wanted to know it or not, you now know what they know. But these same people, have you ever challenged them and said, "Okay, what are you going to do with that information? Now, you know a lot. Granted, it's it's great. You know a lot. But what are you going to do with that information? And a lot of times you'll get a response back. I don't know. (laughs) You know, so what is that? That that can be looked at as wasted knowledge. Right. But there is no wasted knowledge with God. Now, on the same note, think of a college student who who graduates and ends up in a completely different occupation from that which they have studied or trained for in college. The learnings that they achieved in college may be perceived as a waste then in that scenario of not only time, but money as well. Or what if they ended up in a field that did not require a college degree? How are they going to feel? 
and they have to learn something all over again to perform the role that they got hired for. They have all of this knowledge that they've learned from college. What are they going to do with that? That may be seen as wasted knowledge or you even have the um, scenario where someone goes to school, spends all of these years in school only to start a job with someone younger than them who got their GED and, you know, they're reporting to that person. You know, you kind of get that feeling like what happened here? Where where did I go wrong? All of this that I've learned and what am I going to do with it? So that that sometimes seems as uh, wasted, wasted knowledge. And again, this is all practical stuff. We will get into the uh, the scripture. But see, there is no wasted knowledge with God. Again, he knows all things. He knows what was. He knows what is. And he knows what is to come. None of this is wasted knowledge on his part. And as we mentioned last week, the Lord knows all possibilities of what can happen. And though they do not all happen, what does happen comes forth through God's will. So even though there is a possibility for something to be different, God in his sovereignty does not act that way, but he acts as he wills. And everything that happens is a part of his perfect will. So nothing wasted in terms of knowledge on his part. And by the way, if you are ever tempted to hopelessness or despair because of the past and feel that you may have blown it with no hope of redemption because you feel that you've wasted so much time. Know that your wasted time can be redeemed in and through God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28, it says this, it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. See, only the God who knows all things can cause all things in your life to work out for good. According to what? His purpose. And what is his purpose? His purpose is to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, how this all works out, we don't know. But we have to trust what the word of God says. You know, because we may have made a mess of our lives and... We think, how could God ever bring any good out of this? But remember, he knows all. And even in terms of us, when Christ died on the cross for sin, were we here? So all things were forward 
at that point concerning us because we weren't here. We didn't have a chance to do anything. We didn't have a chance to blow anything. But at the right time, Christ died for us. So our sin, whenever we repent of sin and trust in Christ, our sin is charged to the cross of Christ. He paid it all. So even in those scenarios that uh, that I mentioned just a little bit ago, the all knowing God, even in those situations where you do have people who go to school and they come out and they work a job that has nothing to do with their degree and they may never get a job that has anything to do with their degree, but they have the loans that they have to pay back, you know, um, even in those times when, you know, it, it feels like we have wasted time on something. Again, it can be redeemed in Christ because he knows all. He is God. He knows all. But even in those scenarios, the all knowing God knew what was best in each scenario for that college student. But even in other scenarios, it should give us pause and cause us to be patient and wait on the direction of God, trusting that he is going to do what is best for us according to his will, because he knows all things. And it's when we try to get ahead of him that we're in trouble, right? Because we act as if we know all things and we try to get ahead of God and kind of force our will. And that's how we end up in uh, in all kinds of troubles. And see, even when you have someone who has been through so much, you know, and they they have gone through so many different things, it's good not to cast those people away, but maybe talk to them, talk to them and Listen to their counsel because they may be able to tell you something that is going to prevent you from making a huge mistake. You know, that's some that's sometimes how God works out things for good, even though that person has to deal with the consequence of some of the decisions that they made. They're able to help other people out because now they have this knowledge where they thought that they knew so much and they got ahead of God and they did things according to their own plan. You know, but now they have that that knowledge and, you know, some wisdom in certain areas. And now they can help other people out and prevent them from doing the things that that they did. So we shouldn't cast those people away, but we should sometimes listen to them. And the Lord can use those uh, types of people to help us out. Now, many of us have said and have heard that the, the statement that I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger. You know, you're welcome for getting that song stuck in your head now. But <laughs> many of us have said it. Now, maybe maybe on uh, this side of the road, we'll give it. You guys, you know, you're still you're still learning. Come talk to us. <laughs> but think about it, though. There is never an inkling of that kind of thought in the mind of God. 
Why? Because he knows everything perfectly. Now, the last analogy, just on on the same lines of the, the college degree. Now, let's say that a person went to college, then on to law school, got their J.D., passed the bar, then became the top attorney in the state. They may even have national recognition and people may seek them out for counsel because of how smart and successful that that they are. And they have gotten to this place of success according to all that they planned to do. Now, this could go for any profession. okay? however, there is still going to be something that this person does not know. And even their success may come to them as a surprise. You know, they may say, I never thought that I was going to be able to achieve this level of success. Again, that shows their limited knowledge. God knew and he providentially engineered the circumstances for that to happen. But they themselves have a limited knowledge, no matter how great they are in their field of study or in their occupation, there are still things that they don't know. But a scenario like that shows that limited knowledge, a limitation in knowledge is not always on the negative side. Okay, it's not always a dark side of uh, limitation in knowledge. So there there. Achieved success, however, would have always been known by God. Again, he's the one that providentially engineers the circumstances for them. And it's his providence that extends from his knowledge. That's where God's providence extends from. There is a bright side of the unknown. Again, like I said, it's not always on the dark side. There is an absolute bright side to ignorance. Have you ever thought of ignorance as being a positive thing? You know, not usually, but there is sometimes a bright side to ignorance. Now, the word ignorant is many times tossed around as a word to describe someone's behavior, mainly when they're acting rudely towards someone else. You hear someone say you're so ignorant because of the action that you took against them. You're all looking at me like, are you crazy? At least I've heard that. (laughs) However, that is not a proper use of the word when describing a person's rude behavior. The word ignorant means what? Not knowing. Right. And while it carries a negative connotation, ignorance can be positive. Let's look to the Bible for some examples of that. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. And then also Isaiah chapter sixty five, verse 17. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, and then Isaiah sixty five, seventeen. First Corinthians two nine, it says, but just as it is written, 
things which I has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Then we'll go to Isaiah chapter 65. Verse 17. And it says this, it says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So just with that right there, new heavens, new earth, all of the old is gone. It will not even come to mind in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you going to have a need? To think on the things that are old when you're standing in the presence of almighty God apart from sin. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing that you don't know what was old? It's all gone. And then back to first uh, Corinthians, it says things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. These are things that are not known. All that God has prepared for those that love him. Do you think that it's a bad thing that we don't know everything that God has prepared for us? He has given us enough in his word for salvation and life and godliness but we do not know everything that awaits for you know those uh, that that the Lord has called to Himself, that He has saved, and what He has prepared for those who love Him. But see, we have an ignorance to those things, but I don't think it's a bad thing. And you can disagree with me, but I don't think that 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 is such a bad thing. Now, we don't go around saying that we have positive ignorance, right? That's just not how we talk. But what do we say when we think in terms of what Christ has stored for us, for those who love him, for those who are his children in eternity? What do we say then? We have what? Hope. Right. We don't walk around saying, oh, I have positive ignorance. We have hope. Right. And these things cause for us to have hope. First Peter. Chapter three or chapter one, verses three through five. First Peter, chapter one, verses three through five. Says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living what? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have hope 
through the resurrection of Christ for an inheritance that is reserved for us and the final salvation that will be revealed in the last time. See, these are things that we don't have a full knowledge of what they are going to look like. But these are things for us to look forward to. And we have hope of those things. They will be revealed to us, but God fully knows them now. And we have hope for those things. So, again, even in all of our knowing and expertise as human beings, there are still going to be things that we do not know and things that even the sharpest scholar or theologian cannot fully comprehend. And sometimes the smartest thing that we can do is admit that we don't know and then go and increase our knowledge in that area if it is something that is beneficial and worth knowing. All right. God has created us in his image. He wants us to use our minds to learn new things, you know, things that are going to be beneficial, things that are going to bring glory to his name. Right. So let's use our minds to acquire the, the righteous knowledge that that God has out there for us to learn. First and foremost, foremost is learning about God and more about him and his word. Right. We want to learn about him. We want to soak up the word to know more about God. All right. Any questions or comments at this point? All right. So speaking of comprehension, let's talk about the Trinity. (laughs) And we had a good discussion last week regarding the uh, the Trinity. But the triune God is incomprehensible to us in this state. We cannot fully comprehend the triune God. One God in three persons. Okay, we can't fully comprehend. Now, how fully we will comprehend the Trinity in eternity is something that God knows. But one thing that we do know is that when Christ returns, we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. That's what first John chapter three, verse two tells us. But how fully we comprehend the the Trinity in that time, only God knows that's for him to know. And for us to find out, we have hope that we will have a better knowledge. But understand that God's glory is infinite. And while we are going through eternity, we are seeing his glory that just continues and continues and continues and is without end. We will forever be in amazement of our God. Now, as we spoke about last week, God fully knows himself. Exodus chapter three, verse 14, he says, I am who I am and You know, when he told Moses, he said, 
tell the people that I am sent you. See, God never has to go out in search of himself as, you know, as people say, you know, God never has to go out in search of himself to find out who he who he truly is. He says, I am who I am, you know, but but people sometimes when they're going through things and trying to figure it out, they say, I have to go find myself or call it a midlife crisis or whatever they want to call it. But, you know, <laughs> don't go too far when you do that, because you're going to be disappointed when you know that yourself is with yourself the whole time that you're trying to find yourself. <laughs> and guess what? When you get back, your problems are still there, too. You know, so what should we do? Go to the God who knows all. Don't go trying to find ourselves. Let's go trying to find out more about God and how he can help us through a situation. Right. The spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 10 tells us. Turn with me to Romans 11, verse 33. Romans 11:33 it says, "Oh the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. So just a few moments, you know, a few moments more. We'll talk about the omniscience of the Trinity and within the Trinity is perfect unity of mind, will and purpose. There is no disconnect, no disunity, no disharmony, which disrupts the oneness of the Godhead, God in three persons, yet God is one and within his oneness is perfect knowledge. What the father knows, the son knows and the spirit searches what the deep things of God, like we just read. And he knows as well. They share infinite, perfect knowledge, which is an attribute of the triune God. There is perfect communication between the Trinity. So no forgetting to let one person know one person of the Godhead know what the other knows. Why? For they all know perfectly. No disruption, no interruption in their knowledge. They know perfectly all that can be known. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Every person of the Trinity is omniscient. The Father knows before we Ask, right? Matthew chapter six, verse eight. Let's turn there. The father knows before we ask. Matthew six, eight, it says exactly that. It says, so do not 
Let's, let's start in verse seven. It says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need when. Before you ask him. Right. This is a God who knows all things down to verse 31. We'll read verses 31 through 33. It says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But what are we to do? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we don't have to be anxious for the things that we need. Why? Because God knows the things that we need even before we ask. So what does that free us up to do if we are his children? It frees us up to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And what is the promise? And all these things will be added to you. The things that you need. Not all of our fleshly desires. We have to get that out of our mind. You know, the Lord will allow us to enjoy things right through his, you know, through his grace, through his providence. He will. But the things that we need when we're going all in seeking his kingdom, bringing glory to God, he is going to take care of the things that we need. He knows even before we ask Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24. It says it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. This is a God that knows everything at all times, even before we open up our mouth to speak to him or. Excuse me. But think about it, even before we pray to him in our hearts, he knows. So we should go to him with everything. The father knows all things. The son knows. Knows all things. John chapter 16, verse 30. It says this. It says, now we know that, you know, all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. The son knows all things. Chapter 21 in John, chapter 21, verse 17. It says this, and this is when uh, Christ was restoring Peter after his uh, resurrection. He was restoring Peter who denied him. It says this in verse 17, it says he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know what? All things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So the son knows all things. Hebrews chapter four, verse three. It says here, for we who have believed entered that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So the works were finished from the foundation of the world, even though it happened in time. It was as if it was already done from the foundation of the world. The son knows all things. Colossians chapter two, <clears throat> verse three. <clears throat> and this is speaking about Christ in whom verse three says are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All means all. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. The Son knows all things. And just two more, you can write these down. John chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, and then John 6, 64. You can write those down to look at later on. But because the Son knows the Father, he can reveal the Father to his children. So Christ's sheep benefit from the knowledge of Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. <clears throat> it says this, it says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and anyone to whom the son wills to reveal him. So the son reveals the father to his sheep, Christ's sheep benefit from the knowledge of Christ. This should give us comfort, right? Let's look at the next verse. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So we should take comfort in that. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <clears throat> so it should give us comfort. And we should be able to rest in Christ. You know, we have his yoke upon us. We should be able to rest in him. The spirit. So the son knows all things. The father knows all things. The son knows all things. The spirit knows all things and reveals things that are freely 
given. He possesses infinite knowledge of the mind, will and purpose of God. Like we've said, the spirit also knows and sees the hearts of men. Acts chapter five, verses one through eleven, when Ananias and Sapphira lied. You know, the question was asked, why did you lie to the spirit of God? And they both at separate times dropped dead for lying to the spirit of God. Acts 13 verse two, it shows us that the spirit is not impersonal and that the spirit, you know, the, the, the spirit speaks and directs. Scripture is inspired by what? By who? The Holy Spirit. Right. So the spirit is active in the Trinity. The spirit knows all things. The son knows all things. The father knows all things. The Trinity has one divine knowledge, which is part of their nature. Father, son and Holy Spirit are the omniscient Lord. Now, how or in what way does God know all things? Number one, by essence of who he is. He does not look to other things or people to acquire knowledge, for he knows all things. He is the first cause of all things and looks no further than in himself for knowledge. He is self-dependent. What did he say to Moses that his name is? What? I am. There is so much encompassed in that name. He is dependent upon no one else. He knows things when all at once or in one blow. As we said last week, God does not need to gather information or or to accumulate knowledge. There is no succession of thought with God. Everything is perfectly known all at once with him. He is self-dependent. Again, he has no counselor, as we read in Romans eleven thirty-four. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who can become, or who who became his counselor? Who? No one. No one. He's self-dependent. Nothing existed before God. He is the creator of all. So it follows that the one who created all must know all that he created. Right. Perfectly. God is eternal. His knowledge is eternal. There was nothing that existed to give God knowledge of itself. Genesis 1 1. What does it say? In the beginning, what? God. Right. God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing there to give God knowledge of itself. Everything that was created came from God. And there was nothing that was created that has been created that wasn't done through the hand of who? Jesus Christ. Right. All things are known by God. Christ is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He knows all things distinctly. Oh, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. No, please. Please do. Okay, I have a question. Um, So, 
humans know things, like there's head knowledge and then there's, I'm gonna call it like experiential knowledge. Like I can know everything about, I don't know, say like childbirth, but I won't actually know what childbirth is like unless I go through it. And I'm wondering if that, those two flavors of knowing, knowledge, whatever, are limitations that only people, like humans, have. Um, and my connection from that to the Lord is he <coughs> clearly, obviously, he knows all things. We went through many passages that confirm that and say that. But, he, for example, he's never, he doesn't, he, he's never sinned before. But he obviously knows guilt that comes along with that more than we do. Um, and, you know, everything pertaining to sinning without actually having to sin itself. So is that like, I don't know why I'm having trouble like. Mm-hmm. So how does he know about sin? Just going back to the yeah, first part of your like question, that. how does he truly know about sin without actually experiencing I guess the like sin. The necessity of experiencing something is that something only humans, people uh, deal with. And because the Lord operates outside of time, space, mm-hmm. and matter, he's able to know everything about something without having to experience it himself. Is that the right way of thinking about it, I guess, that question? Yeah, definitely. He does not have to experience it to actually know what it is. God is light, right? And in him, there is no darkness at all. Sin, you can equate with darkness, you know. Um, So by virtue of who God is by the essence of who he is, he cannot sin. He knows perfectly what sin does. You know, the the Bible says that Christ, he was uh, he was tempted at all points, yet without sin. So we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses because he was he was tempted right at at every point but he could not sin he had no capacity to sin god cannot sin in his perfect knowledge he knows how sin kills you know how sin destroys, completely obliterates anything that, you know, uh, anyone who does not turn from that sin, like he knows they're not going to get away from that consequence. We have in the Bible example after example after example of those who sinned. The consequence, even if they were forgiven, the consequence that still came because of that sin. And even in our lives, too, you know, when we sin, there's always going to be consequences. Does God forgive? Yes, he does. 
thank God for that fully and completely. He does forgive. He forgets, you know, or separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he separates it from us. He does that for his own sake. You know, you know what I mean? For his sake, you know, he does that. Now, he did not have to know or experience sin to know what it does on the basis of his perfect knowledge, on the basis of his holiness. As Isaiah tells us that God is holy, 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 three times holy. Right. So anything that comes against that holiness, you know, he doesn't have to experience it to know, you know, but he knew what I guess I, I guess I guess I'm conflating. I think it's pretty common once you experiencing something, knowing something. Because mm-hmm. if that were true, they're the same thing, or connected to each other in any way. Then the only way you could know something is by experiencing it. But we know that that's not true. Like the, the inverse is not true. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that. Um, knowing something doesn't, or experiencing something doesn't mean knowing it. Because, like you said, the Lord knows sin, the consequence of sin, how deep sin goes, and he's never experienced that. Yeah, and even speaking like of God's foreknowledge, what we'll talk about, uh, which we'll talk about next week, you know. Um, but as I was reading, I came across an example that said this, like even in our limited, you know, we have limited foreknowledge. You know, we can look at a situation and see, you know, probably what the outcome is going to be. And the example that was given was that if there is an alcoholic, someone that you know that is an alcoholic, you know, they have never been delivered from that sin. You know, it has them gripped and you see them walk into a bar. What's going to happen? You know, we can pretty much, you know, we can pretty much say that, yeah, that person is going to get trashed in that bar. You, you know what I mean? So we have that limited um, that that limited foreknowledge. Uh, I think, too, you know, also the difference between like sympathy and empathy, you know, you can sympathize with someone without, you know, without actually going through what they went through. Right. To empathize with someone. I'm not getting this mixed up or backwards, but <laughs> to empathize with someone. So you went through the same thing that this person has gone through and you can say, listen, I know exactly what you're going through, you know, Listen, you know, let me let me help you out here because I've been through this same exact thing that you have gone through. I know how you feel. You know, now we are exactly how that person feels. No, but there are going to be those similar feelings and you can help that that person out. So, you know, more about that situation because you went through it. If you had not gone through it. That does not mean that you don't know the truth of it. You, you know what I mean? The truth remains the same. The truth of the matter is truth, whether you know it or not. You know, and we even 
uh, you know, we even look at that like in terms of scripture, in terms of the Bible, in terms of God. Someone can say until they're blue in the face that God does not exist, you know, but the truth of it is that he does, you know, that's 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 the truth, you know. So there are I mean, when we read things in books, we don't try to you know, experience everything that is in that book to know that it is true. Now, when we try the things out, you know, the truth becomes more real to us. We have something to grasp on a little more, but the truth is still the truth. You know what I mean? It's, it's always going to be the uh, the truth. So what you're saying is there are objective truths I feel like we're talking about objective truth and then someone's subjective experience, I guess, of that truth. And because there's objective truth and the Lord knows all objective truth. And subjective, by definition, is dependent on the objective truth. Mm-hmm. And the Lord knows the core objective truth. Everything that's subjective, dependent on that objective truth is... it. It's all connected, I guess, is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he's at the core, and he knows the things that will stay, remain standing when everything else falls away. Yeah, he's the epitome of truth. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no truth that, you know, he, he's the epitome of truth. Jesus, in his I am statement, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? No one comes to the Father except through me. So, yes, God is the epitome of of truth. Yeah. And sometimes when you get into the experience of things, you know, that can go sideways quick. And it even happens in the church. You know, I grew up I was I grew up in a charismatic church, you know, very charismatic church. I mean, the speaking in tongues, the people running around the church, falling out in the floor, you know, that, that said that, listen, you, you know, two, you know, when, when we get when we get saved, when the when the Lord regenerates our heart, we have the Holy Spirit at that moment. But being raised in the Pentecostal church, they said, listen, you know, you don't have the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues right that was the evidence that you have the holy spirit you know so that was looking to the the experience you know and it's sad because it goes off the rails now not all charismatics are crazy off the rails so you know i will not say that there are some that are firmly grounded in the word we're just going to differentiate on, you know, we're, I'm not a continuationist. You, you know what I mean? Um, there are those who are pretty solid that are continuationists. It's like, okay, you know, we can agree to disagree there, but on the core foundations of the word and who Christ is, you know, we'll be able to, we can go to battle together, you know, but, 
you know, there was always, it was always looking for that experience, that experience. But, you know, God's word is true. You know, he has given us the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait to speak in tongues to then for that to be the affirmation that you have the Holy Spirit. God's word is true. You know, his spirit indwells each and every uh, each and every believer. Um, hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes my mind gets carried away with a lot of like I don't know what to call it, like abstract stuff. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I need help like yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So <clears throat> there is no failure in God's knowledge. And again, we're talking about how or in what way God knows all things. There's no failure in his knowledge. You may you may be able to fool others, but you cannot fool God. He cannot be tricked. He cannot be deceived. Why? Because of what we just said. He is the epitome of of truth. God's knowledge does not change. He is immutable in his essence. He does not change. Knowledge is a facet of his essence and his knowledge cannot change. He knows all things. God cannot learn anything, nor can he forget anything. There is no variation or shifting shadow with God. He does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, God knows all things perpetually, all in one act. He doesn't know more today than he knew yesterday and less tomorrow than he knew today. No change from one moment to the next. Uh, proof that God knows all things. Any any questions or comments before we move on? OK, so proof that God knows all things. Number one, he is perfect. Perfection of God demands perfect knowledge. If God were not perfect and did not uh, know all things, he would not be infinite, but he would be finite. The creator of all things cannot know less than his creation. Romans uh, 16:27 it says to the only wise God, to the only wise God. In Romans eleven thirty six, it says for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory for how long forever. Amen. Number two, for knowledge to be received, it must be first given. And there is not a person who knows or knew anything who did not receive that knowledge from uh, from God. I have a question, but I can't wait until the end. I don't know this rock. Okay. Rock okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's let's talk after that. Yeah. I mean, unless you think it's something that. <clears throat> well, it's kind of related to the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, it's kind of related to the Trinity. Trinity, you know, we, the Bible talks about how you know, there is unity, 
between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I feel like I see like there is like a hierarchy within the three. Mm-hmm. And like usually hierarchies tend to kind of like show differences. Mm-hmm. And, and like kind of like rating, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I... I would like, and when I think of the Trinity too, because of like, we have to like separate them mm-hmm. uh, in three, or even though they're one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I have to, I, when I try to grasp the concept, mm-hmm. sometimes I want, you know like how sometimes we have like inner conflict yeah. in ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes Yeah, no, no, I got you. And, and, you know, especially when thinking of Isaiah 53 and it says it pleased the Lord to crush his son. So, you know, we're talking about in terms of sacrifice, right? There were sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament to atone for sin, you know, and when you'll read like in the Bible, like when a sacrifice was made. You know, that God smelled the the soothing aroma. The aroma was soothing to him and it pleased him. You know, so that sacrifice was accepted as an atonement for sin. Thinking of Christ pleasing, it, it pleasing God to crush his son. We don't want to look too much into that, you know, as if there was some sort of sadistic type of pleasure within that. Thinking of it in terms of a sacrifice, you know, that sacrifice that was made by Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. So the blood of bulls and goats, forget about it. God even said he's sick of your offerings. Keep your bulls and your goats. Your heart is far from me. Forget it. Keep that stuff. I'm done with it. You know, Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice for sin. The only acceptable sacrifice for sin, because even in the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were made were pointing to the Messiah that was 
to come. The spotless lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when Christ was crushed under the wrath of God, the aroma, if you will, that was released for that sacrifice was the most pleasing fragrance of all to God. It filled the heavens with a fragrant aroma that only an infinite God could do. See, the debt was to infinite God. It was infinite God that could the only one that could pay that debt in full. So when that wrath was exhausted fully on Jesus Christ for the sin of the elect and there is nothing else that they could do and the price was fully paid, Jesus said it is finished, then the elect of God can now be reconciled to him forever through what Jesus Christ did. Yes, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Based on that, we should see the seriousness of what was taking place on the cross and our sin. We should never allow for that sin to indwell in us. We should want to be rid of it as soon as possible. That's why confession and repentance of sin all the time is so important because we keep that communion with God. We don't want to go on living in the sin that Christ died for. It is paid for fully. And that pleased God. It pleased him. So it's not as and when you're looking at things. So Jesus said that he was going to send the helper who's the Holy Spirit. These are things that kind of condescend to our level to help us understand a little bit. You know, it's not going to give us the full understanding, but it helps us to understand just a little bit better. When you say one God, the Trinity, one God, all of these attributes, I think we went through eight to this point. All of the attributes are completely true for all of the Godhead at all times, never were they not. You know, never what for one second were they not. So, yes, the way that the Bible describes Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it may cause us to think in terms of, you know, CEO, president, manager, you know, but no, no, fully God, fully God. The spirit is God. You lie to the spirit of God. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? 
dead? Why did you lie to the spirit of God? You know, he is fully omniscient, just as Christ is fully omniscient, just as the father is fully omniscient. There is a lot to be said about the Trinity, and we could go on and on and on, and we're still not going to, you know, not going to get the fullness of it. Some things we just have to be satisfied to say yes and amen, but we increase our knowledge, you know, and maybe we're able to explain it a little better and listen to people that are able to explain it a little better to us. But again, the truth is Father, fully God. The Son, fully God. The Holy Spirit, fully God. They share the knowledge. They share omniscience. All of the attributes are fully true of the triune God. Never at any point did anyone in the Godhead lack any of it. You know, not at all. So (laughs) really, truly, behold the mystery. Honestly, behold the mystery. The mystery, because there's always going to be something that causes us to think something else. You know what I mean? And wonder how. Behold the mystery. You know, but we just have to go back to what the word, um, you know, what what the word says to us and how um, how the word instructs us. Right. You can read the first John five, seven. Yes. First John chapter five, verse seven. For there are three that's that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and the three are in agreement. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and you talk about that. You know, we can speak about that even in terms of salvation and in John three, how Jesus is saying, you know, Unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you know, and you go back to Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel 36, and we can tie those together. But, yeah, I I mean, there's there's so much that we have to learn. Listen, we're going to be learning until we die about God. And even like I said, in eternity, we're dealing with an infinite God. So his glory is going to be going on forever, you know. All right. Let me finish this up. And I promise, you know, if there are any other questions, I will stay. Okay, I I will. All right. All right. For the knowledge to be for knowledge to be received, it must be first given. And there is not a person who knows or knew anything who did not receive that knowledge from God. Psalm 9410, it says he who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke even he who teaches man knowledge now? In the NASB, ESV, it stops right there after even he who teaches man knowledge. But the King James Version says this. It says, shall he not know? So even he who teaches man knowledge, shall he not know? Okay, so God gives man knowledge. Does he not know that knowledge that he gives, that he freely gives to his creation? Now, what about our conscience? It is God given. It is he who pricks our conscience. So it only makes sense that he knows all about us and 
all things. If God did not know all about us, there would be no reason to fear God. Right. If he didn't know about us, remember, he can't be tricked. He can't be deceived. He knows all things. Um, But our conscience, when it is pricked, it is pricked by God. And that affirms that God is real. Now, our conscience can be seared and desensitized, but we have our sin to blame for that, for the desensitizing of our conscience toward sinful things. We have our sin to blame for that. God is not to blame. So your conscience is pricked when you do something wrong. And the more you do it, the less sensitive you are to that. That's your sin that is desensitizing you to that. You're becoming callous because of your sin, not anything that God is doing. His conscience. He has given you a conscience to keep you away from those things that sin that will destroy you again. Number four, God is the first cause of all things. So it follows that he fully knows all that was created after him by his hand and all that is under his control. And number five, if God did not know all things, he could not be the perfect king and rule all things perfectly. If he did not know all things, he knows the way of the just and the unjust. All right. Practical points. Jesus Christ knows the hearts of all men. John chapter two, verses 24 through 25 tells us that he did not entrust himself to men because he knew what was in their Hearts. He knew the evil that was in their hearts. Point two, the judgment of God is always proper and correct because of his knowledge. Though we do not fully realize the omniscience of God now on the day of judgment, God's omniscience will be manifested fully. We will understand that there is nothing that escapes his sight. An account will be given for every careless word that is spoken, every sinful thought, everything that has been done. It does not escape the sight of God. So we cannot comprehend it all now, but it will be manifested fully in the day of judgment. The attribute of God's knowledge should cause us to be humble before God. He alone possesses all knowledge not us. We thank him for the knowledge that we have, but it better not puff us up. This should give us confidence in prayer, knowing that God knows all things and encourage us to pour all out to God because he knows all things. Knowing that we are praying to a God who knows all things and will answer our prayer according to his will. Prayer This is a quote that I read. It says prayer is the expression of our desires. So we might rightly honor God when he answers our request and gives us what we need. Prayer is the expression of our desires so that we might rightly honor God when he answers our requests and gives us what we need. God's attribute of knowledge should cause us to worship God in sincerity. In spirit and truth, those who worship God, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and 
truth. Now, what about sin? People like to act as if God does not know everything. And when sin is committed, it is either acting like God does not know or see it. Or it is an act of complete disdain for God, which says, I don't care if you see it. So let us not be those people who have more regard for men, meaning that we don't want to say something that might offend someone else. And then we hold God in low esteem and don't worry about the things that offend the all-knowing, almighty God, right? We don't want to say something to offend somebody. Now, we shouldn't be speaking carelessly anyway, but, you know, we want to tiptoe around people and not say something to offend them, but then when it comes to sin against God, we don't think twice about it, and we offend the one who saved us. Let us have a high regard for God's knowledge because he knows all about us. He knows about our sin. So, again, let us continually repent of sin and constantly commune with the one who forgives to the uttermost. Comfort in God's knowledge. And this is where we're going to end up. Comfort. Number one, God knows each one of us personally and intimately. John chapter 10, verse 27. If you are his child, if you are his sheep, he knows you personally and intimately. John 10, 27. Christ says that he knows his sheep. Another comfort, the unspoken prayers and groans of our hearts. Guess what? God knows it. Even if it's just the because you are in so much distress or you don't verbalize your prayer request to anyone. God knows it. Psalm 38, 9. Lord, all my des- <coughs> excuse me. Lord, all my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. Number three, God knows our weaknesses. Psalm 104, 14. It says, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our sins and he shows them to us so that we might repent of them. See, sometimes when we see our sin, we want to run away from it instead of thanking God for showing us our sin and giving us that opportunity to repent of that sin. It is a gift that he shows us that sin that has blinded us. And when he shows it to us, we go to him in repentance, confession and repentance of that sin. Psalm 139 verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the ever 
everlasting way. Do you ask God to search you, to try you, to see if there is any sinful way in you? Do it. Do it. And when he shows you that sin, turn to the one who knows all in confession and repentance and ask him for the strength that only he can give for you to turn away from that sin. Last point, it should keep us in amazement and drive us to unending worship, knowing that the Lord knows our sin and does not crush us under his eternal wrath. For his sheep, he covers our sin in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does that not make you want to worship this all-knowing, almighty God and pour your heart out to him constantly, not hiding a thing from him? He wants this from you. He already knows. He wants you to pour your heart out to him and constantly depend on him. He knows it all already. Take Comfort in that. Take comfort in his son, knowing that you can go to him. For those who do not know God, they need to understand that God in all of his omniscience knows their final end fully and his wrath will not be spared from them. For he knows each and every sin that has been committed by them and will make them pay eternally for each and every sin. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words. Use those opportunities that the Lord gives you to direct people to Jesus Christ. Do not be shy. Do not be afraid. The Lord knows your enemies even better than you do. Go in full confidence in the Lord. Obey him. Point people to Christ. God's knowledge should make us humble It should make us be careful of our thoughts because he knows them. It should keep us from sinning. It should help us worship God in a more sincere manner. It should help us fully trust him. Amen. Any questions? Comments? All right. I'm here if you do have any more next week. Like I said, we will conclude the knowledge of God by discussing God's foreknowledge and wisdom. And I will do my best to get you out of here by eight (laughs) o'clock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the richness and the truth of your word. God, I pray that your word would accomplish its intended purpose. Even the things, God, that I cannot explain fully, for I am a fallible man, God, depending upon you. I pray that you would open up your word and cause for each and every person here to want to go to your word and learn more about who you are. And that as they read the word, it would be illuminated to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, as we leave this place, Lord, that you would grant us the traveling grace to get home safely. Those who could not make it tonight, Lord, because of illness, I'm thinking of flex, God. I pray that you would 
heal him, God. And I pray that each and every one of us, God, would be drawn closer to you, have faith in your son, turn from our sin and go on in glory for you, Father, for the son and for the Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.